Yes, said Nickabrick very slowly and distinctly. I mean the witch. Sit down again. Don't all take fright at a name as if you were children. We want power, and we want a power that will be on our side. As for power, do not the stories say that the witch defeated Aslan and bound him and killed him on that very stone which is over there, just beyond the light? Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I am Kel. And thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about the fourth book in the series right now, Prince Caspian. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up, that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today, we are discussing Prince Caspian, Chapter 12, Sorcery and Sudden Vengeance. wonder what happens to this one, Cal. Uh, You know, I wish I knew, but the door was closed for most of it. Uh, it, This chapter should be titled, Listening Through Doors. Listening Through Doors. Uh, And we'll let you know why. In this summary that I'll read for you, Chase. Trumpkin, Edmund, and Peter enter through the mound through a stone archway. The guard badgers leap up saying, who goes there? And Trumpkin said that he had brought the high king out of the far past. And the badgers just accept this. They just move forward. And they nose at the boy's hand saying at last. They got a torch and they wandered the tunnels trying to find their way. The boys noting how old the carvings on the wall were and that they were older than even those. They finally saw a light coming from under the doorway to the central chamber and heard loud, angry voices coming from the other side. And as opposed to going in, they stopped for a moment to listen and hear the king yell that he had not been able to blow the horn till he had a breath because they'd been attacked. Nickabrick's voice came saying his dwarfs had bore the brunt of the attack and Truffle Hunter disagrees, saying that everyone fought hard, particularly the king, not just the dwarves. They said that no help had come from the horn when it had been blown and Dr. Cornelius said that he was even disappointed by the lack of results. Nickabrick hinted that their plan hadn't worked and that he had something to propose. Truffle Hunter said that he stood with Aslan, but Nickabrick shouted him down. Caspian tells them to stop bickering and wants to know what Nickabrick's plan is and you know who these two silent strangers are that he had brought with him. Because apparently they're silent strangers. We wouldn't know because we can't see in the door. But one says she's just a poor old woman, sounds likely, but she has some skills and spells she could use against their enemies because she hates them. And no one hates better than her. Dr. Cornelius says he thinks he knows what she is, and but doesn't, you know, tell everyone else, because why would he? And then asks Nickabrick's other friend to give an account of himself. He responds that he is hunger and thirst, that his bite holds after death, that he can fast a hundred years and drink a river of blood. Sounds like a lot. And he says to show him their enemies. Nickabrick says he thinks these two can execute his plan, and after some low talking, Caspian says that they will hear their plan. Nickabrick says none of them truly knew of the ancient days, that they had tried the horn, and one way or another it hadn't worked. But this was only one link in the chain of old legends. He says the stories tell of other powers that the ancient kings and queens, and he proposes they call them up. Truffle Hunter asks if he means Aslan, saying that, that you know calling on the kings and queens is calling on Aslan and is one and the same. Nickabrick agrees and says that Aslan isn't coming either, wouldn't come or couldn't come or was against them. And the stories say that he wasn't always kind to dwarves or wolves. Wolves? Why does that matter? Dun, dun, dun. We'll find out later. He meant a power 
greater than Aslan that held Narnia spellbound for hundreds of years when Aslan had only been seen for a short while. They heard three voices shout out, the white witch, in alarm. Nicobrick confirms that he means the witch, saying they need power, and the stories say that the witch even was able to kill Aslan on the very table that they were standing next to. The badger interjects that he came uh, back to life. Nicobrick dismisses this and goes on to say how her power is the practical answer they need. They yell back and forth with Nicobrick, essentially saying he would get rid of Caspian for the witch if it served the dwarves. Cornelius interjects that the witch is dead, so what could they mean by calling the witch? And the voices of the strangers chime in now, saying they needn't worry about the white lady being dead, and you can always get a witch back. They begin to do a ritual, and Caspian yells out angrily and the plan that the plan is black sorcery with a hag and a werewolf, or a werewolf? A, a werewolf is, is how it's spelled. The boys and Trumpkin rush in. There's an animal roaring, a clash of steel, and after a short fight in the darkness, they, you know, because a lamp was locked, knocked out, they confirm with their voices that every one of the good guys is all alive. Somehow, they're all all right. They're fine. They lit a candle, but the hag, the werewolf, and Nickabrick are all dead. Isn't that convenient? They introduce themselves to Caspian, and then Peter kissed the badger on the head. Don't worry, it's not girly when you're a king. You know, got to make sure that you know that. Uh, Caspian apologized for Nickabrick, saying he knew he hated Caspian, but was hoping he would become a good once peace came. Caspian was bleeding from a bite from the werewolf. But let's not worry about that, because werewolf bites have no effects, apparently. So they patched that up and then disposed of the bodies, and they had a breakfast of cold bear meat. Aren't you glad that that you know, little detail paid off the end of the chapter? I mean, we could just get into it now. Caspian's a werewolf now, right? I mean, he should be. And like it says that the word... So, I keep saying this. This is why it's bothering me. In he goes out of his way to spell this W E R dash wolf, like that's a werewolf. That's a werewolf. That sounds like someone who's in the country been like that damn one there werewolves. <laughs> this is someone from Oklahoma who encounters werewolves on a daily basis. Yeah, well, that's where all of them live because Oklahoma sucks. Uh, I lived in uh, in the Northeast. Uh, you know, you would assume, but you'd be wrong. They're all in Oklahoma. Uh, but Sense. it says he was mid-transformation. And so I'm assuming that his bite was kind of like, uh, what's his face? Fenrir Greyback from Harry Potter biting someone as a human, as opposed to in his werewolf form. But even those bites were hard to heal because they... Hard to heal, but don't transform you into a werewolf. You just end up with some dope scars. Um, yeah, you, you, you make uh, General Hux look real rugged. But it kind of sounds like the point he was at, he at least had the head of a wolf. So wouldn't it, he had the teeth and saliva of a wolf? And ha- Let's my, my understanding of, of werewolf transmission similar to my understanding of zombie transmission in that it's kind of like a virus that's transmitted through saliva. Yeah. You know, uh, I think the way that we should think about this is, you know, the way that C.S. Lewis does. And that's just to not address it ever again after this. Yeah. Because bring it up and almost treat it as though it was unimportant that there be a werewolf there and could have gone with a different character that didn't have other implications. Could have just been one of the wolves that were in the witch's employ. Like, yeah, that would have been easy enough. But, you know, God forbid you make this, you know, 
like seem like it makes sense. Yeah. Like other other fictional characters that have storylines and implications to them. That's just, it's just sloppy. It's sloppy, but whatever. So we, we come upon the beginning of the chapter with, you know, the sons of Adam and the son of earth walking into Aslan's house because apparently there's just no security uh, other than these couple badgers who are like, hey, who goes there? Because what are they going to do if Maraz and his army show up? Like They have zero security. And part of me wonders, like, is this because Nickabrick did something knowing he was bringing in these two bad eggs into the encampment? Like, did he mess with this in some way? Because, like, last chapter, we were able to walk up to Aslan's house without anyone, like, noticing them either. And even throw a romping party outside of it without anyone noticing. So I I can stand by that. I I like that explanation. I think that's solid. Uh, But then Trumpkin just says, hey, it's me, and I brought the High King of Narnia. And they just go, oh, dope. Cool. Got any ID? Nope. Uh, Finally. At last. Which Are you at least later in the chapter they do get into like, well, no one was supposed to know that you were calling the high kings and queens of Narnia, but somehow everyone knows. And so I, I could buy that like word has gotten through the community that like they were hoping that these people would come. Um, yeah. Kind but, of primed in a way. Yeah. But for, for people who are like, you're seeing children, right? You're seeing teenagers. You're not even a little bit skeptical. Like, I don't know. Well, these are badgers and badgers don't forget Kel. Yeah. But badgers who have never seen anything do. Uh, so it's, it's whatever. And so changing nature of badgers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess whatever. Honey badgers don't care. Uh, they don't care about who's entering their, their compound either. Apparently, uh, their hands. Yeah, they know him. Having so, a dog who's a herding dog that likes to nose at things is uh I, I related to that that picture. Yeah. So Trumpkin leads them through the tunnels and they see all these old carvings on the walls and they're like, wow, that's super old, but I guess we're older technically. And they go, I Yeah, I guess I, I guess technically you're right. And that's the end of that. They don't have any further conversations. Why even include this, Chase? And when you see something in life and you're like, man, that's pretty old. Oh, man, I'm older than that. Oh, dang. Yeah. It's a maybe, mild maybe existential crisis. Maybe this is the like, you know, the 30 and 40 year old Peter and Edmund coming out again where they recognize like, oh, crap, my knees are really hurting. Like, why they, is my back lost, so sore? They've got over that hill in the time that they've been hiking. Now they've gone from and, being spry and revived by Narnia to like going back downhill towards like back pain and knee pain. Edmund's looking over at Peter like, hey, look at these new New Balances I just got. Aren't these? <laughs> He's like, man, look, these cargo shorts have so many pockets, Peter. Man, I think I'm going to buy a green egg. <laughs> they're, they're now suburban dads. It's crazy. Uh, but ones look impeccable. Impeccable. It's crazy. They cut them with, you know, their swords. Uh, so it works really well. But they, you know, make their way further and further. And then they come to a door and they see a light coming out and some shadows moving around in there. And as opposed to, you know, 
coming in because it's not like time is of the essence here. It's not like Mraz's army is camped outside. Uh, he just, Trumpkin's like, well, let's just listen for a moment uh, because they hear some angry voices. It's not like we're the people that everyone's been waiting on. And Aslan may have said that we needed to hurry, but he probably wasn't serious. Let's stop and listen for a while. Hurry relative to what? You know, like to sleeping. Sure, we're not going to sleep out here, but we can take a little bit. Uh, and so they just sit outside this doorway. And this is where most of this happens, right? We don't get any explanation other than we just get conversation, right? We just get dialogue. Uh, so we don't know who's all in the room. We don't know what things look like. We're just, you know. I mean, on a certain level, this is a solid Game of Thrones scene. Sure. I mean, and in case anyone was still wondering from like six chapters ago why the horn blast didn't come until like 30 minutes after it was expected, now we know that they were attacked. Yeah. As soon as the, you know, as soon as Trumpkin leaves, boom, attacked. Uh, and so, uh, we, we hear that in the opening thing. And basically we hear this big argument about how no one came. Nickerbrick is, you know, all we know at this point is it's Nickerbrick, uh, Truffle Hunter and Caspian. There's two more in the room, but we don't hear about them until later. Uh, and Dr. Cornelius. Uh, and so it's Nickerbrick versus everyone else basically being like, Hey, your horn was useless. Nothing worked. Magic doesn't exist. All of you are stupid. Uh, and he's saying all this, uh, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're still a little disappointed as well. And he's like, yeah, and we're the ones that fought everyone. And Travel Hunter's like, not quite. That's yeah. that's a little bit of uh, some, some Sure, bias. you were there, but saying you did all the work ignores that. There were also a whole bunch of other people in the army. There's an entire army doing work, and apparently Caspian's doing most of it, right? Uh, and But it's this real interesting thing, because... Or Nickabrick begins to hint that he has a different plan, right? Uh, because he's like, hey, your horn didn't work. We're expecting, uh, you know, Aslan and the High Kings, and obviously, you know, no one's coming. Um, but, uh, you know, I, like, I have a plan, and, you know, you're not even, like, like listening to me. And uh, King Caspian's like, I just want to know who these people you brought are. So apparently there's two other people in the room, Chase. Yeah. I mean, casual. Who doesn't yeah. bring friends to your um, war council? War council private middle of the night meeting. Um, <laughs> which the way that Nickabrick gets defensive here is kind of funny. Like it felt like a like, why did you invite them? Well, why did you invite me? Like, I'm looking for it real quick. Uh yeah. The they are friends of mine. Yeah. So, I mean, very simple question. Caspian asks, like, so who are those two strangers who stand there and keep their ears open and their mouths shut? And he goes, they're friends of mine, said Nickabrick. What better right have you yourself to be here than that you're a friend of Trumpkins and the Badgers? And what right has an old daughter in the black gown to be here except that he is your friend? Why am I to be the only one who can't bring in friends? And it's just like so like insolent. And it's really funny. It's just some strong like defensive energy. It's it's so petty. 
Yeah. It's like, whatever. And, and then, you know, Travel Hunter's like, bro, that's the king that you swore fealty to. Like, he could do what he pleases. And he's like, ah, whatever, court manners. And he's like, well, you know, everyone knows and he knows that, like, his kingdom doesn't matter if, you know, it won't matter in a week if uh, we can't do anything, if we're just stuck in this, you know, cave, which is true. Yeah. It it brings up a fair critique or like conversation about what makes a king or like rulers. Like if you are an exiled king, are you still a king? Like Mm. you have, it's kind of that conversation between divine right to rule versus like political like practicality, which is Nick Brick's eternal position, which has some fair points and like the more morality based, like, no, this is the way it should be. So then yeah. it's what we're choosing to follow. And it's a, uh, I mean, it, it is a real conversation about like political philosophy. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's really interesting. And there's definitely like, I'm glad that it's being discussed, but you begin to see weirdness and like some flaws in Nickabrick's quote unquote practicality here. Uh, because as his friends introduce themselves, the, the woman uh, describes herself as a poor old woman uh, who's, you know, means them no harm, but, you know, wants to use her spells against her, their enemies. Uh, and no one hates better than her. This is sketchy, man. Look, honestly, what a vibe. <laughs> like, this is so untrustworthy. And then Dr. Cornelia is like, I'm pretty sure I know what you are. And then he doesn't say anything, Chase. Yeah. It, what what good is there in waiting? Yeah, there there really is no point in having a like professor there, like an advisor there if they're not going to advise. But yeah. also like your entire sales pitch is that you're good at hating people might not be a great sales pitch to people who self-identify as the good guys. Yeah. Like, it's not great. Like, nothing in her whole spiel is like, yes, this is the girl I want on my team. And then Dr. Cornelius is like, well, what about your other friend? Just skips over her. Uh, And again, because we don't get a description of anyone, we just get dialogue, which is, you know, good and bad here, right? Like, here it's so poetic that it is good in theory, but like, it would be hard to do. It doesn't read as normal conversation. Like they have no. prepared answers for who are you? Yeah. But, uh, it, it, well, it's also just weird because it's like, we know that this is a werewolf, right? Like, because we've read the chapter, what does he look like? Is he a human? Is he a wolf? Like, is he like, we, we don't really know what he looks like at this point. And we really just have that he's been standing silently in the corner and the color of his voice is gray. Yeah. He has a gray voice and he says, I'm hunger. I'm thirst where I bite. I hold till I die. And even after death, they can, 
They must cut out my mouthful from my enemy's body and bury it with me. I can fast a hundred years and not die. I can lie a hundred nights on the ice and not freeze. I can drink a river of blood and not burst. Show me your enemies. Again, why are we trusting this guy? I mean, if you're looking for someone to join your army, not a terrible sales pitch. Not going to lie. Kind of dope. But Definitely sounds evil. Like, not, not bringing good guy's side here, but... No, and Caspian immediately recognizes that because he goes, and it is in the presence of these two that you wish to disclose your plan. Uh, and Nick and Brick's like, yeah, and they're the ones that are going to help me do it. Uh, and... Hey, Nick and Brick, your friends seem kind of, I don't know, evil? How do I, how do I say this politely? Evil? <laughs> And also, you've been wearing a lot of black eyeshadow lately, and it's kind of throwing me off that you've started wearing pointy black cloaks. Um, could we talk? Are you wearing Are you wearing fake horns on your head? No, they're real. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. They look cool, nice. Cool. They look nice. Uh, they really so, look nice. Yeah. So they, you know, convene for a minute, and they're like, "All right, what's the plan?" And this is it. The point. Where basically he, you know, Nickabrick discloses what his plan is. And this is where he loses for me his like, I am the rational one. I don't believe in things that are ridiculous. Cause he's like, yeah, we, you know, blew the horn and it was stupid because like high king, like the high kings and queens never existed uh, or they, you know, or just won't come. And Aslan won't come uh, because. Uh, you know, he, he may be not be on our side. Uh, and then he's like, but there is another power that we can call. And, you know, they begin to talk about the white witch, right? Because he's like, she was the one that, uh, you know, held Aslan and, you know, he's, she was always good to the dwarves and the wolves. And, uh, you know, she was uh, powerful enough to kill Aslan, uh, and rule over Narnia for hundreds of years. And it's like, wait, you believe in the white witch? but you don't believe in Aslan? Yeah, it's definitely weird because you get the sense that Nick and Brick doesn't believe, I, he believes that these people and beings were there at one point, but doesn't believe that they are to the extent that like Aslan has talked about as like basically being God. Like, yeah, obviously, yeah. he doesn't think that's the case. He thinks Aslan was just some dude who showed up for, like, a month and then was killed by the White Witch and then briefly disappeared afterward. Like, he he thinks about Aslan the way that a lot of people in our day say, think about Jesus. Uh, whereas, like, the White Witch, he at least knows the histories of Narnia well enough to know, like, okay, well... Everyone knows that Narnia was winter for hundreds of years because of this lady. So obviously she's got something going on. Right. And then you've got Truffle Hunter in the background through the entire chapter, just interjecting like, wait, but like, what about Aslan though? But like Aslan, but like Aslan's kind of cool. Like also we should like wait for Aslan. And, right. And yeah. Which, like, even after he says that the White Witch killed Aslan as, like, a point in her favor, Trouble Hunter's like, yeah, and then he... He came back to life. came back to life. He rose again. Like, what are you talking about? 
and then straight up murked her on the battlefield. Yeah, like we don't even, she dies off screen. It happens so quickly. It's not um, even worth describing to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it is to us, but you know, not to him. And, but it, yeah, it's interesting, like, point that Naked Brick makes after this, though, of like, well, like, people say that Aslan came back to life, but like, we don't know. We just know that the kings were suddenly kings after this battle was won. And you don't need that. And like, also like, yeah, he, he really calls into question everything about the lion, the witch and the wardrobe as whether or not it's true. Other than the fact that the witch is an OG. Yeah. This is a really interesting little discussion here because it brings up like, like you mentioned the common arguments about Jesus where it's like, well, he didn't actually rise from the dead. Like his body was stolen or, you know, he never actually died. Like he faked it. Uh, or, you know, it's, it's the, the common arguments of like, it's way more reasonable to believe these things than it is to believe that he, he rose from the dead. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like if you had say two people, in a Christian circle arguing over like whether it would be better to follow in, I don't know, like Jesus's character and how he did things and, and lay down power and pursue faithfulness or pursue political power and, and strength on, on like a national scale, because that's the way you've seen things done and know that people get things done. And, uh, and that has evidence behind it. Like, yeah. If you want to pursue political power, why not just ask Satan for it? Uh, you know, that seems fine. Which I mean, we know that no one in, in Christian circles would ever choose satanic political powers over, over quiet, humble faithfulness. But sure. uh, it is really funny to me. I mean, it is, it's similar to me, the like those who legitimately like worship Satan though, like in real life where it's like, but you're by recognizing him, you have to recognize that there is God. And Jesus. Yeah. Satanists, I'm always a little confused what's happening there because it, like, the I, you're right. The idea of worshiping Satan is acknowledging Satan as a being and therefore implicitly acknowledging that there's an other side to, to that, that coin. But I don't know. My understanding of Satanism is that it's essentially moral libertarianism moral libertarianism that is the yeah the church of satan would be, say like oh we don't actually believe in satan he's more just the like picture that they use yeah. for freedom of religion kind of thing yeah they're basically just like pursue pleasure at all costs like like if it feels good do it is the whole philosophy and yeah some people live their lives that way sure uh, but moving away from that, um, they continue to, you know, have these conversations and they're like, you're ridiculous, man. Like she was terrible. She was worse than Mraz. She was a tyrant. And Nick Brick's like, yeah, for you humans, for the dwarves, she was great. Maybe, you know, not for the beavers because they're all dead now, <laughs> apparently. Uh, 
But she goes, he goes, I'm a dwarf and I stand by my own people. We're not afraid of the witch. And begins to like have some real like dwarf like nationalism kind of thing where it's like he is all for the dwarves and not for anyone else. But like even the dwarves, and I know you're going to talk about this a little bit and you're further up and further. And so I'm not going to dive in too much, but it's like the dwarves were enslaved by her. Like it's not like they were like team witch like i mean depends on who you are somewhere but uh yeah the the dwarf supremacist thing is uh is a weird weird angle yeah but consistent with his character yeah but they you know he's like you know we're the ones that went on all the dangerous raids and we're the one fighting everyone and you know we don't get any food with the rations low and like ever like travel hunters like that's not true <laughs> like none of this is true and like then uh like he he's like hey if you know if you can't help me caspian like i'll go to someone who can basically being like hey my i'm casting my lot with whoever can protect me like me and mine um and then they pull out their swords because it's treason uh and the, it's treason then uh real uh emperor palpatine vibes here um and then like the they're like wait why would we even like dr Grunus is like why would we even fight the witch is dead and then the old lady is like but is she is she chase i mean who can who can say it's it's interesting. So the the hag is basically like, yeah, we didn't need to mind about the white lady, which very often noting like, yeah, red flag. If you don't call her a witch, you call her a lady. Um, but yeah, she basically says like, whoever heard of a witch that really died, you can always get them. Yeah, back, which is yeah. Not in keeping with the storyline that we have for who the witch is and how she got there, but an interesting commentary on where the power of witches come from and stuff right. in the broader context that C.S. Lewis is, seems to have in mind here. Right. And then the the werewolf goes, we are ready. Draw the circle. Prepare the blue fire. Draw a pentagram. No, drain the blood of the goats. Wait, maybe I added those last parts. But uh, he's like, all right, sweet. Let's just do this, right? And then everyone else is like, no. And, and they begin to fight uh, because, uh, like, they're not wanting to, you know, see a demonic, you know, ritual come about. Uh, and they're like, it's a hag and a werewolf. When your goth friend just goes a little too far. Yeah, this is going from like shopping at uh, at stores that are you know that sell fingerless gloves to immediately like drinking blood. You're like, wait a minute. When when you're trying to make your identity being a vampire when you're like 14, that's uh, and then, it's a mood. And then you actually become a vampire. Uh, but like they're oh. like. I see who you are. Like they recognize them as a hag and a werewolf who are like, again, if you recognize these people, it's like, why are these people even allowed in here? Like I would never trust a werewolf. Like 
It's that's tough. Unless his name is Remus Lupin, get out my face, right? Uh, even he has his moments where yeah. he blows bites kids. So in human form, he's fine, you know. But like whatever. And so they begin fighting, and then Peter Ed, Peter Edmund and Trunkin burst in. Uh, but you know the candle went out, so it's all dark in there. Uh, but what we do know is that at one slash of Trumpkin's sword, he just decapitates the hag. Uh, and then it says, you know, it was swords, teeth, claws, fists, and boots for about 60 seconds. That's a long time, Chase. 60 seconds is a long time for a fight. Yeah. This is, that's wild to me. Especially when you have swords, teeth, and claws involved. And that's 60 seconds in the dark. Like, this is after the lamp gets knocked out. 60 seconds of, like, full-on tumbling. Yeah. Hoping that you're hitting the right people. Which, like, you can see, they weren't sure. Because they get out of it, making sure everyone's all right. And basically, uh, Edmund is sitting on top of Trumpkin, thinking it's Nickabrick. Yep. They could have easily accidentally killed trump here yeah the the fact here and this is some real like plot convenience for the good guys kind of writing which you know that's it's a children's book uh but it's like there are you know six good characters and three bad and conveniently there are three people dead and it's all of the bad characters caspian truffle hunter cornelius peter edmund and trumpkin are all fine, other than a bite on Prince Caspian, which, or King Caspian, my apologies, which, as we've discussed earlier, literally is going to turn into nothing. Like, there is no, there is no werewolfiness from this. Uh, and the three dead bodies are the hag, the werewolf, and Nickabrick. Maybe he is a werewolf, and that's why he lives long enough to be there for the Don Treader. Maybe. Well, the Don Treader is not too far after this in Shutter is but, next weekend in this story. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. The silver chair is a long, long time from now, but he's still alive for that. Oh yeah. He's old, old man at silver chair, right? He's, he's old as dirt in the silver chair, uh, but he's still alive. So maybe he does get some magical life, you know, lengthening stuff from the werewolfitude. Uh, I am going to look for werewolf clues throughout the rest of these books now. Oh yeah. I mean, um, as far as I'm concerned, he's a werewolf unless otherwise stated. Agreed. We to be fair, if until I see him as a human and there's also a full moon, he's a werewolf. Yeah, there's no way of knowing otherwise. There's no way of knowing otherwise. Other than uh, if he just starts eating really rare meats, which is how the French like to cook them anyways. Yeah. So, you know, it could be appreciated. There you go. Fleur and Bill, uh, but it's it's good. Uh, and so they're like calling out, making sure everyone's good, and they all are, other than Caspian having this, uh, you know, wound that he got bit by a werewolf, and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Um, uh, and uh, they introduce themselves, and Peter goes, like, I, I appreciate this moment from Peter because he goes, uh, like. I have not come to take your place, you know, but to put you into it. Like Peter recognizes like, Hey, we're only here for a short time. So we're not here to displace you. We're here to establish your throne, which I, I appreciate that. 
Because I would be, I would have the same exact thoughts if I was Caspian, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it even calls back to the question at the beginning of the book where Mraz and Caspian are talking and Mraz is like, well, how could there possibly be two kings at the same time anyways? Yeah. It's, as we well, see. Well, right now, right now we have four kings technically. Because you get Peter, Edmund, Caspian, and one baby prince. And a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, But, yeah, it's just, uh, I I like that, you know, Peter makes it clear. It's like, hey, we're here for you. We're here to help you. Like, we'll be a support. And I'm sure Caspian's like, oh, thank God. Uh, There's no way I could compete with you. Uh, But uh, then, you know, the badger comes forward. And Peter leans forward, puts his arm around the beast, and kissed its furry head. But C.S. Lewis makes sure that we know, Chase, it wasn't a girlish thing for him to do because he was the high king. Is like, here's some just casual sexism thrown in here. I mean, classic C.S. Lewis. Um, there's two contexts where this could be taken that C.S. Lewis could mean that it's a girly thing to do. There's the context where this is an animal and you're kissing its head, which, in which case, that's not a girly thing to do because, like, like everyone ever had a dog, C.S. Lewis, come on. And then if it's just a dude, like, still kissed him on the forehead. Like, that's not, it's not like they're making out. And also, no. like, it, it's not it's like pageant. It's not like the Bible tells people to greet each other with a holy kiss or anything like that. Like it it feels like he's going out of his way to make this like he's answering questions that aren't being asked. Literally Peter kissed Aslan's paw earlier and like they've like run in and snuggled in his mane before. Like it's fine. Like, but uh, you know, he he, you know, goes to Trouble Hunter and goes, Best of Badgers, you never doubted us all through. Uh, and Trouble Hunter's like, No credit to me, Your Majesty. I'm a beast and we don't change. And I'm a badger, what's more? And we hold on. Because if it's one thing badgers are known for, Chase, or I guess two things. One, they don't care. And then two, they hold on. I mean, fair enough. It's what I always say about badgers, is they hold on. Watch out, says that bird. Not that you're not the honey badger. The honey badger, he doesn't care. But uh, he, you know, Caspian apologizes for Nickabrick. He wanted him to become a good and peaceful dwarf. But, you know, there was too much evil in his heart. He had gone too sour. Uh, and then Peter's like, you're bleeding. And he goes, oh, yeah, I was bit by that werewolf. But, you know, no need to worry about that. Not important. Yeah, it, <laughs> important. it is interesting, like, Caspian's comments about Nickabrick. Because, like, obviously Caspian knew that Nickabrick hated him. And, like, he said that right. Like, he he hated me from the moment he saw me. But, like, it's interesting to see Caspian's thoughts on this. I'll I'll read it. He says, he had gone sour inside from long-suffering and hating. If we had won quickly, he might have become a good dwarf in the days of peace. I don't know which of us killed him. I'm glad of that. It's, there's a lot of empathy there. Like, yeah. Especially for a kid who grew up in power and, like, presumably everyone had to like him all the time. Like, to have this guy who you're allied with, who you know is 
more or less set against you. Right. The fact that he still had hope for Nick DeBrick says a lot about Caspian's character. Yeah. And Caspian's dope. You know, he's a great king. Uh, Great king, potentially a great werewolf. You know, who knows? Because one of the best werewolves around. I would say he's in my top two. At Uh, this point in the book, he is one of the few werewolves who's not killed anyone. Yeah. And nobody's killed anyone as a werewolf. You know, he's a. Well, yeah, he might have just killed Nickerbrick, but he's not sure and he's thankful for that. He's kind of like the blade of werewolves, where he only kills people outside of his vampire form, you know, but, uh, or ideally. But, uh, you know, he, so he, we do get, you know, a little bit of a sign that he actually could be werewolfy here because as opposed to getting like a nice cooked breakfast, what do they eat? Cold bear meat, Chase. Because that, uh, and that Cap- little detail. Doesn't say they cooked it. Doesn't say they cooked it. That, but that cold, that detail several chapters ago where I was like, hey, you never know when you could use bear meat. It finally pays off, Chase. Thank God. I've been curious when they were going to eat that bear meat. And it was now that they're in the presence of a werewolf. And I'm not talking about the dead one. And it's, again, such unimportant details to end chapters on. They do end having breakfast. And C.S. Lewis makes sure to tell us that it wasn't the breakfast they would have chosen. Caspian and Cornelius were thinking of venison and pasties. And uh, Peter and Edmund were thinking of buttered eggs and hot coffee because they're British. And I guess Caspian and Cornelius really like venison and uh, pastries. But yeah, again, why do we need to know this? Like it. Yeah. T.S. Lewis loves to not end on a cliffhanger and in fact, make it the least eventful way to end a chapter possible. Indeed. But Chase, unless you have anything else, I'm going to dive further up and further in. Dive, Kel, dive. My further up and further in is why you shouldn't play with demons. Uh, and uh, you'll see this uh, in, in this book, obviously, as well as a lot of fiction. And then in real life, right, uh, is the like messing with the occult, messing with things that are demonic and dark uh, and that there are consequences for this. Uh, and this, you know, they are uh, literally trying to summon the white witch. You know, I this is one of the moments in the movies that like like in the movie that is not great, but it sticks out in my mind where it's like you can see like the White Witch starting to appear and it's kind of like eerie and spooky. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it, it's this weird, crazy thing. But there are obviously consequences. If they had brought the White Witch back, then she would have been in power. She would have ruled over and she would have been a tyrant. You know, it's not like she comes back and is just like a playable character, right? She is the evil person again, you know? And, you know, this is, you see this throughout a lot of different fiction, especially in the fantasy genre of like, oh man, like I was messing around with the dark magic, the dark power, and like I got corrupted by it. Like I found this Sith artifact. I, you know, was uh, 
calling upon this guy. If you you know read the Wheel of Time, you know spoiler alert heavily for that because especially the you know, TV show just came about. But uh, you know one of the main characters finds an artifact in the first book and becomes possessed by like an evil like spirit kind of thing. And so you see the the problems of of messing with the demonic, of the dark, the uh, the things like that. And that are, that applies to the real world too, because you know, though we like don't mention this as much, like there are dark spiritual forces in addition to Jesus that are at work in the world. And like when you're playing with Ouija boards or like joking about possession or whatever it might be, those are things that are not great to like mess around with. Because what if you know something actually comes of that? Do you want a demon around? No, that's ridiculous. That's terrible, right? Uh, and so. Uh, this is showing like there are consequences and you shouldn't just be messing around with things that you shouldn't be messing around with. Yeah. So for my further up and further in, I just want to talk about the rewriting of history. So in this chapter, uh, obviously Nicobrick has some very interesting views about the history of Narnia, but also they do kind of line up with the way that people try to both look at the Bible and and try to say, well, like this is just mythologizing this type of act or that type of act, but also the way that people generally want to change history, twist history to fit the narrative that they're trying to tell for the goals that they're trying to accomplish. So in the chapter, Nick and Brick says like, look, like we don't actually, we weren't there. We don't know what actually happened at, like when the high king and his siblings became in power, which like as the readers, we were there, but he wasn't there. None of the people in that room were there. And so he's like, you know what? Like, honestly, a king who's just won a great battle can usually establish himself without the help of a performing lion and kind of dismisses Aslan's resurrection and Aslan's kind of role as the king above the king's. In Narnia. And then he looks at the witch and basically is like, look, like, honestly, we don't know that she was actually that bad. She was good to my people. And so he he starts twisting and rewriting these things in a way that fit the ends he's trying to meet. And and it really calls into the question uh the way that we engage with history, the way that we engage with the stories that we're telling, and how facts and and information and storylines can be turned and twisted and details omitted to to fit what we're trying to accomplish and the danger of that being that we can end up ourselves going down a path that leads towards destruction and history repeating itself rather than learning the lessons that we're meant to learn from the things that have happened before us and so I, I think it's important that we understand a full breadth of history of why we are in the place we're at and how things got to this point and the different players and characters and dynamics that led to the current systems and structures and personalities that are in power and going on today. Um, it's just a, it's a fair warning that every generation needs to take seriously the things that came before us. Yeah, absolutely. Chase, it's like we're separated by a door, but as opposed to coming in 
how about you just just listen for a second as I you know tell you tell our listeners uh, how they can find more of our podcasts and how they can help us out. How's that sound? I mean, I was gonna rush in and chop your head off, but uh, that's fine. I can just listen. Can you just wait until the lights are off. Uh, sure. For that. Cool. Uh, well, listeners, uh, you can find our podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, you name it. Uh, once you're there, we'd love it if you could share our podcast with our with your friends, leave a rating and review for us. Five stars uh, really helps us be found by more listeners. Uh, go follow us on at the Chronicles of Podcasts on Instagram. Uh, let us know anything that you're liking, anything you don't like, uh, what you want to hear more of, what you're excited about for the future books and podcasts. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you know, just just stay listening, you know, just like Chase at this door, just like Peter and Edmund and Trumpkin uh, at theirs. Just keep listening and you'll know when you should take action. This bear meat's kind of cold. Now we move into the demonic chapter of uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The chapter that takes place entirely on the other side of a door. Indeed. Yeah. They're just listening, but it's, uh, uh, you know, let's see. I'm I don't, I don't think this just didn't feel like describing the two stranger characters. Like until they're dead. Yeah. It's, uh, it was, it was a choice. It was fine. <laughs>